So sometimes reading the gospel, it seems like seems like the disciples just don't really get it. Sometimes looking at my life, it seems like I just don't really get it too. But that's beside the point. Like in the gospel, right? Like it just so the context right before this. So James and John come up to Jesus and they're like, "Teacher, do whatever we want." Right before this, he says to them, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And then James and John come up to Jesus and say, Teacher, do whatever we want. Like, what? He just tells them, right? He just tells them that he is going to Jerusalem to be handed over, scourged, spit upon, mocked, and killed. And now they're saying to him, Jesus, let us sit with you in glory. Right? It's like, what? What's the disconnect there? And I don't have an answer. It just seems strange. And then, on, you know, on the flip side, right, the other, the other ten who says be, they become indignant, right? Like, they too allowed their focus to shift from Jesus to now being upset with these other two about having such gall to come to Jesus with this attitude, right? So, so it's, it's not just that these two, James and John, are, you know, just off in left field, but it's that they're all scattered and they're not really focused on Jesus. There's something about Jesus, and this, this maybe is, is the point. There's something about Jesus that they just can't seem to grasp. You're like, we have, we have the benefit of 2,000 years of history. Right? We have the benefit of having things like the Bible that nobody reads. We have the benefit of this, right? Of being able to read the scriptures and see in hindsight, like, oh, they're so foolish. And yet, if you look at 2,000 years of history in Christianity, you see that we're not really any better than them. So what is it? What is it about Jesus that we're just not really able to capture? Or... Or maybe another way to put it is, what is it about us that just refuses to be captured by Jesus? I think maybe that's the better way to put it. That there's something within these disciples, and something maybe within these disciples, that refuses to let Jesus capture us. For whatever reason. And maybe we have different reasons. You know, that could be a thing. That we each have our own different, like, like James and John, maybe they had ambition as their reason that we just can't really fully buy into what Jesus is. Maybe for others, it's like a lack of understanding. Maybe for others, it's like a high need for control. I don't, I don't know what it is, but what I, what I want to propose is, is there's just this kind of main theme, right? Jesus 
isn't quite what you think he is, however you think of him. Jesus isn't quite what you think he is because he's so much more. He's, I'm just, I, I was praying before Mass and they were, they were practicing their songs and it was like, yes. Because I wasn't sure what I was going to preach about. That happens a lot, actually. But then, then this, this was it. Okay, so we're, we're going to go back, and then we're going to get to the, get to the songs. So we're going to go back. So the book of Isaiah was written uh, kind of over two periods of time, maybe three, but over two periods of time for sure. So there, it was written right before the people, the Israelites, were brought into exile in Babylon. So uh, it was written at a time, Isaiah was this prophet sent by God, God who saw their sinful ways, God who saw a people who just weren't quite able to grasp it. They just weren't, maybe not even quite, they just, they were, they were way off, right? So they were, they were committing these grievous sins against the Lord, not worshiping him how he said they need to worship him, not honoring him how they need to honor him, not keeping the commandments, not, being, not remaining faithful to the covenant of God. And so the first part of the book of Isaiah is called the book of woes. The Lord is speaking to them a hard message through the prophet Isaiah. And the book of woes ends in chapter 39 in the book of Isaiah. So I'm just going to read one sentence from it. So the Lord says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Right? This is a hard word. Imagine someone standing up here preaching saying, the days are coming when people from Canada are going to come down and they're going to lead you away and nothing of what you own or have in your life is going to remain. Like your house is going to be destroyed. Your family is going to be destroyed. All of the stuff that you own, it is going to be destroyed. And they're going to force you to walk back to Canada. And you don't get to come back. That's a hard message, right? One that you probably wouldn't believe. Like, no, we're in America. We have the strongest army around. Right? This is kind of what's going on here. The Lord is speaking to his people. You're about to go off into exile and nothing shall be left. Woe to you, the Lord is saying. And then what happens, right? So it's a hard message uh, and the people don't ultimately yield to it, but they, re- they have to receive it as a hard message. And then the very next chapter, chapter 40, begins what's called the book of consolation. You see, the Lord, who is a good father, the Lord warns his children that he's going to punish them because they're not being faithful to his commandments. They're not being obedient to him. They're not following his ways. And so because they're not being good children, he's going to punish them. But the punishment is always for the sake of restoration. In other words, when the Lord makes a promise to punish them, there's always a lesson to it. And the lesson is that he wants them to be healed. He wants them to be made whole, to no longer be rebellious against him, but instead to follow his ways as simple, loving children. And so they receive this hard message, but then the, book, the chapter 40 begins with this. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her, war, that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Right, the Lord is saying, I, I'm punishing you, I'm letting you be brought up into exile, but don't worry. I am going to bring you comfort, and not just comfort, but like I'm going to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. And then in the next few chapters of the book of Isaiah, there are four songs that the Lord sings, we could say, to his people. And these four songs, they're called the suffering servant songs. It's all about the Lord saying that I'm going to send my servant and my servant is going to suffer for the sins of many. But because he suffers for the sins of many, the many are going to be restored. This is what we heard in our first reading. The Lord was pleased to crush him in infirmity. If he gives his life as an offering for sin, he shall see his descendants in a long life and the will of the Lord shall be accomplished through him. Because of his affliction, he shall see the light in fullness of days. Through his suffering, my servant shall justify many and their guilt he shall bear. Right, this, 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 this beautiful promise that the Lord God is giving to his people that although they are being punished because they must be punished, he's going to send his servant to bear their guilt and that through that suffering servant's suffering, his people are going to be restored and it's going to be beautiful. That's what's going on here. And as Christians, right, this is where the the 2,000 years of hindsight comes into play. As Christians, right, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He is the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 talks about, um, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Like, this is Jesus. He is the suffering servant that the Lord promised hundreds of years before he came. And then he comes, and what happens? Jesus, who is perfectly innocent, who does no violence, who's, who's not dece- deceiving, he so innocent, and he's led off like a lamb to slaughter. In fact, we call him the Lamb of God, right? Like, this, this is the thing. Jesus comes to suffer our, for our sins, right? Uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is... Like when we talk about Jesus, like we're not quite able to grasp him or we're not able to really see who he is because he's so much more. Like this is the thing. Jesus isn't just some other guy. He is the God beyond all praising. This is where the music comes in. Jesus is the God beyond all praising. And because he loves us and because God the Father cares for us so much, he sends Jesus, his servant and his son, to die for us, to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is 
so much more than we could possibly think of. And what I just, I've been caught up in this for the last several weeks, like to think about this. Jesus Christ, in all of his glory and majesty in heaven, sent by the Father and is willing to come, comes, lays down, right? He sets aside his glory to take on our limited humanity. And what's more, he's born as a poor man and put in a feeding trough for animals. He subjects himself to let his diapers be changed. Right? He, he's, he's nowhere to lay his head. And then what's more, he dies as an innocent man. He lets himself be killed in the most humiliating way to be killed that's ever existed in the history of humanity. And this is the God beyond all praising. Like, to stop and consider, like, what wondrous love is this? Like, do you ever let yourself be caught in wonder at the amazing gift that Jesus Christ is for us? This is, this is the one that we worship. And, and yet, at the same time, we don't, you know? Like, we can't allow ourselves to really get captured because, well, I want to make a name for myself, or I've got to earn that promotion, or I've, I've got to get more people to follow me on social media, or whatever it is. Like, we just, we refuse to let ourselves be fully captured by Jesus, which is so sad. 2,000 years later, we read this passage and we think like, oh man, what were we thinking? What were they thinking? And 2,000 years later, I can't help but look at my own life and wonder, what am I thinking? I let myself get distracted again. I, I went down this route again. I, and that's not to say that we can't enjoy life, right? Like, we're not talking about that, but... But if we're not in a place where we can allow ourselves to be caught in wonder, you know, like to, to take a step back every once in a while and just be amazed at who Jesus is. To be amazed that you and I are so incredibly valuable and important to God that he does this. If we aren't able to do that, then we're missing something. If we come to worship because, well, it's just the thing to do, or if we come to worship because your son is the priest, my mom is here. If you, if you come to worship, like, if, if you're not coming to worship because he is worth it all, right? Like, if that's not your reason for coming to worship, then you're missing out on something, you guys. If you're coming to worship because, well, I'm a priest and that's what I got to do, right? Like, we're missing out on, like, let's ask the Lord. Let's, let's just simply close in prayer. Let's finish this and ask the Lord Jesus. Jesus, give us this gift of wonder. Jesus, help us, capture us. Set us free from our sinful ways. Set us free from our selfish patterns. Set us free from our ambition from our indignance, set us free from our divisions, our political 
whatever that we hold on to and that we cling to, anything, Jesus, that we cling to more closely than we cling to you, set us free from all of them, Jesus. Give us your Holy Spirit to just be captured by you. To be amazed at the gift that you are for us as undeserving as we are, Jesus. You're so good. You're so good. And we sometimes are so unfaithful. But Jesus, we repent of that now, today. And we want to turn to you. And we want to be captured by you. So we stand before you with hands open, And we ask you to capture us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And let us live our lives for you and for only you. Jesus, give us courage so that we can turn from the things that we know need to be turned away from. Give us courage, Jesus, to go to confession if we need to. Give us courage, Jesus, and humility so that we can acknowledge how supremely better you are than us. Win us over to your sacred heart, Jesus. 